So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Mercatus Podcast, Digital Grocer. I can't believe it's episode 30. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. And joining me literally in the studio today is Mercatus's very own Senior Director of Marketing, Mark Fairhurst. The big 3 dude. The big 3 <laughs> I can't remember being 30. No, it was a long time ago. It was a long, well, yeah. much longer for you. <laughs> I must yeah, say. there's this running joke, so I'm slightly older than Sylvain. Well, slightly. We look alike, though. Yes. yes. It's incredible. We yeah. attended a couple of events not too long ago, yeah. and people were, you know, coming up to you, asking for your business card, coming up to me, asking Oh, they shook my hand. They say, Sylvain. I said, no, he's, he's over there. They're asking me for a PowerPoint presentation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> which I find quite hilarious. We, ha- we have yet, though, to do it on purpose. And thank you for stepping into my cousin's wedding for me, because I <laughs> did not want to go. <laughs> my family was elated with you. <laughs> made a definite good impression thank you no it's good. salvaged your reputation in the family you did you did thank you thank you well you couldn't have done worse with what i've done so <laughs> so we're actually in the big apple and i'm not really sure if people still call it the big apple you know or it's, it's just another tourist trap kind of like going to a restaurant in times square so but we are at mouth media yes our studio First, first time, time which yeah. is great to, to be here and andrew is at the board and mm-hmm. running everything for us which is great you know the one thing mark that's kind of interesting, you know, when you're in our space, it's always about these battles between regional retailers mm-hmm. and the super beast large retailers against the Amazons and the Walmarts. And now we're hearing more of how Amazon and Walmart are playing off of each other, right. who can innovate right. faster, who can acquire what, and integrate into their whole e-commerce thing. But the one thing that people aren't talking about is, and I think maybe they are to a certain extent, some of the analysts, but is how Amazon's really shifted their program in terms of long haul shipping Mm -hmm. and the last mile. And specifically some of the news that came out back in 2019 in August, where FedEx made that key decision Mm -hmm. of walking away from Amazon. And then, you know, there was this whole acquisition that Amazon did in the Canadian space with some sort of small shipping airline to be able to help them out. Then in December of 2019, Amazon actually blocks its own sellers from using FedEx ground for shipping purposes, Mm -hmm. you know, citing that there was a decline in performance. I'm intrigued by this subject because I think there's going to be some sort of bleed over into the retail space into the grocery retail space. How is this going to really affect not just the broader market, but more so some of these companies that are actually trying to do delivery? Yeah, those are all great questions. And you know, we're not the experts at this, right? And we have somebody in the studio today who's gonna help us out. His name is Rick Watson. You know, Rick, Rick's a smart guy, right? He's an e-commerce technology executive. He's the founder of RMW Commerce Consulting, and he's an amazing strategist. And he's actually one of the world's foremost experts on online marketplaces like Amazon and eBay. He advises tons of big companies around big platforms of what to use and things that they really can't ignore to be competitive in this space. He's also, if you follow him on LinkedIn, this guy just cuts to the bone really yeah. quick. He's prolific. He is writing like two, three, four, five times a day. I mean, the stuff that he wrote a couple of days ago about Ikea pulling out of Amazon, yeah, I'm like, yeah. whoa, what are you talking yeah, about here? Yeah. Like, I got to dig into this. And I have to put, when I'm reading his stuff, I put his posts up on one monitor in my office and then I'm like deeply researching. <laughs> I'm like, where's this guy getting this stuff from? It's, it's crazy. Rick, welcome to the show. 
thanks so much. I appreciate being on. Awesome. Great to have you. Let's rewind the clock mm -hmm. and talk to us about why did FedEx make this decision to walk away from the last mile delivery with Amazon? I think the answer is not as simple as it might seem. I think there are a few layers to the discussion. One is the personality of the CEOs. You have two big personalities, you know, Fred Smith, ex-military pilot, big personality when he's not going to be pushed around by Congress, if you've ever followed him in the past mm -hmm. 20 years, riding on the WSJ, haranguing the government about, you know, they're being disadvantaged by UPS. So his personality is, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and you're not going to push me around or tell me what to do. So that's sort of the personality subtext, I think, to the discussion. It's important not to lose sight of that it's not a partnership-oriented company when someone is threatening them. That's not a military man's response to a threat. Mm. So that's first. I think second, the main thing is they could. UPS mm -hmm. couldn't. <laughs> UPS is a significant portion of Amazon's ground network next to USPS. And so FedEx, any analyst estimates I've seen never put the number greater than 2%. So of FedEx parcels, air or ground, that are carrying Amazon boxes. So if you play out any scenario in close Amazon partnerships that don't end up with acquisitions, there are a lot of things that end badly, mm -hmm. <laughs> to put it mildly, for some of the competition, starting with you know, Toys R Us and Target right. being the, the prime examples in the last 15 years, right. I would say, you know, of that happening. So that's kind of the beginning right. of it. And do you think Amazon was ready for that decision to come down from FedEx? I think Amazon could care less to be honest. I right. think they were ready. I think it was such a small percentage of their network that the reality is lots of delivery carriers bid on Amazon business every day. They right. want to carry Amazon parcels because it's where the volume is. They're not going to make hardly any money on it mm -hmm. because it's you know just like what a lot of people don't know about Amazon's delivery marketplace is it's also a performance-based bidded marketplace. Mm. So you're not going to carry a parcel from... Los Angeles to Toronto if you're not the lowest price, highest performance carrier, period. Right. Right. You know, when I look at the trades and so on and read some of the analyst reports, it's my sense that FedEx underestimated Amazon. And there's a risk here that Amazon could be entering into the market simply to be a delivery company, some sort of a spinoff. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's the case? I think it's been the case. I think it's been... Amazon has a relatively well-established playbook, too. Uh, and, and it's really based on what the internet demands in today's game. If you're not at internet scale, then you're a regional player. Mm -hmm. And for a company to be at internet scale, you can't just manage your own volume. And so ultimately, Amazon has been smart about its investments. Is that when it builds something, it builds it so that other people can use it, too. Right. And that's just for cost. But I think what's underlooked is the innovation benefits that that has. And AWS is the prime example Absolutely. of that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like Amazon's positioned itself to being the operating system to business, period. Right. And AWS is, quite frankly, what business today is not using AWS? AWS is unbelievable. Right. I mean, I, I think most people don't know how huge 
AWS. We is. use it at Mercatus <laughs> yep. with, yep. listen, we have geographical failover. We can spin up an instance based on volume in under five seconds. It's incredible the stuff we can do. And I, I know we're just scratching the surface, <laughs> even with our new AI tool set mm-hmm. that we just released. You talk to some of the other organizations that are out there that are using it at a much more phenomenal rate of involvement than what we do. It's obscene. Yeah, I mean, I think most people don't know today how amazing the business is that they created from thin air. From nothing. From nothing. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the year 2000, my background is electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. And so we set up our first hosted co-location facility at Channel Advisor back in 99, 2000, somewhere Mm -hmm. around that time frame. And you had to buy and rack your own servers and wire them all. And when we had to move to a new facility because the other one wasn't performing, we shut the site off for six hours. Right, right. And loaded all the servers and wires into a back of a truck <laughs> and, and, hoped, and hoped we could put it back together yeah. before the site window yeah. came back online. And it usually didn't work very well. <laughs> no, it didn't. I used to work at Exodus Communications in Jersey City at the yeah, Exchange Plaza, which was a, an amazing data center. Mm-hmm. But when 9-11 hit, we made the decision to repatriate back to Canada. Do you know how hard it is to take a truck across a border <laughs> to load servers? We were down for 48 hours. And all of our providers that were using our technology, it was brutal. I believe it. Brutal. Now it's like you can spin up a server in, in, in seconds. I don't know, Ireland, Portland, mm-hmm. you know, Virginia. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, really. Right. So when I think of all these innovations and what FedEx has done, and there was a recent publication from the folks, I think it would have been Yahoo Finance. I can't remember the actual reporter, but they're saying that FedEx is primed to be acquired. Mm. Does that resonate with you? I'm of two minds about this. Mm -hmm. Originally, I agreed with those reports. And Scott Galloway, among others, has been talking about this for a while now. He wasn't the first to talk about it, but he's the most vocal, probably. I think... FedEx needs to be acquired, but I think most companies don't need to acquire FedEx. Interesting. If you look at what mm. FedEx is, they wouldn't even have a ground network unless they acquired R- RPS, mm. you know, 15 or, you know, whatever is it, 98 now, 98, something like that. They still haven't integrated their air and ground networks, which gives you some idea of the legacy mm-hmm. that both companies probably have. And anyone who's been in corporate America for a long time for a Fortune 500 company knows that things change extremely slowly if you're not named Amazon. Right. Um, And so the chances for anyone to look at, like if you're an e-commerce company, you need a logistics network. What do you need? You need last mile. Mm. That's what you really need. Especially if you go at Walmart, you have a lot of stores. Mm. You have the first mile in between, long haul, short haul. Right. You've got it covered. What you need is last mile. Mm. I mean, this is why Target acquired shipped. Mm -hmm. But that's what FedEx isn't really great at. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like what percentage of FedEx balance sheet do you think is planes? Absolutely high. I don't know the answer. Maybe one of your listeners does, but I'm sure it's an obscenely high number. What what percentage of their innovation goes into their ground network? As a percentage of the entire FedEx business, why does Walmart need the other 90% of it? That's the part that strains credibility for me, even though I think from a Lego block point of view, it kind of makes sense. Logistics, Walmart... They need each other, but I think Walmart needs it less than people think. Or, or you know, if Amazon's building out their long-haul air freight service, maybe acquiring FedEx would make sense. 
Yeah. Although I'm, that's a stretch. I don't know. I don't know. We'll yeah. let the, we'll let the analysts worry yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to switch the topic here because I know you're an expert at marketplaces and marketplaces have, have been the buzz certainly for the last 18 months. And we've talked about in a previous podcast and mm -hmm. some of the stuff that we've published about what I call the reverse Amazon model. The reality is if you look at the grocery retail industry, the household penetration rate is significantly high. It's higher than 96%. Mm -hmm. People are frequently going into a store to buy food. That means you're collecting data. You're getting a lot of great things. Amazon buying Whole Foods, again, makes sense. Great data play, blah, 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 blah. Expanding into brick and mortar, again, completely makes sense. So knowing that, you see a lot of grocery retailers today that have either flocked over to the concept of the shipped or Instacart marketplace. You know, to get those additional eyeballs, you have some retailers that have decided to integrate their own marketplace solutions in their .com. Loblaw in Canada is mm -hmm. a great example mm -hmm. with a recent acquisition they made and the ability to sell third-party products on their website that normally wouldn't include in their own brick and mortar or they're on their own .com. You know, the complexities involved in the logistics side and so on is, is pretty interesting. Can you define for our community of listeners the basic concept of a marketplace? Because I think that word is thrown around so much. When most people say marketplace, what they mean is you're not holding any inventory. And the traditional retail model is to buy it wholesale, hold it in a distribution facility, and then ship it direct to consumer. That's a traditional sort of e-commerce retail model. Marketplace flips that model on its head. What that means is your supplier is holding inventory. In a quote-unquote pure marketplace model, the website is only making a commission on those sales and that's the revenue that they're booking right many people call a marketplace different things including dropship or vendor managed inventory where the retailer is booking a hundred percent of the revenue from a pure definitional point of view those aren't strictly marketplaces but for practical purposes they're almost marketplaces. Right, right. And does it make sense for a grocery retailer to get into this space? Because I think if like their minds are so oriented towards <laughs> food, mm -hmm. and there's a few retailers that, you know, that have expanded out into, you know, housewares or other stuff, but does it make sense for them to consider this? I mean, essentially marketplaces is a supply chain tool at mm. the end of the day. It's a tool for more supply. If you have more demand than supply, then a marketplace is a fantastic idea because it will allow you to grow your market share by offering more selection to your consumers, and then you can become a one-stop one shop, which allows buyers to come back, which allows you to acquire more supply and sort of start that flywheel. Those are the basic things that need to be in place for a marketplace, like I would say a marketplace at scale right. to be successful. You right. can build a marketplace, yes, sure, it's a boutique thing, and that's fine, And but I'm talking mostly about competing with the big players. Right. In my world, when I think of a grocery retailer doing this, one of the risks could be that they may dilute their brand. And there's that notion, if you build it, they will come and they may just not show up. Right. Can you think of any other risks that may exist? Um, when I was running Barnes & Noble's marketplace, I thought about this all the time. One of the ways to think about a marketplace, it's always a race between selection and trust. Mm -hmm. And selection always has to lead trust because if you don't have the products up there, 
mean, you could have a trusted store where no one, you mm-hmm. have no consumers. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's pointless. Right. So you need to always be on that bleeding edge mm. of pushing the boundaries, getting more traffic, getting more selection. But then at the same time, you need to be running as fast as you can to improve quality and trust. Right. And so I think the times where there are risks is that people forget about the second angle. Right. Or they aren't investing quite as much as their consumers expect regarding quality and trust. And did you find like when you're at Barnes and Noble and you had the marketplace that you had customers coming into the store and saying, how come some of these products aren't available in the store? Did you find the marketplace would bleed into the brick and mortar? The scale wasn't big enough for us to get that question. Okay. It was interesting from a fraud point of view because we had no system. I was the system. So, you know, where Amazon has AI and (laughs) algorithms, uh, I had me looking on our most popular products and looking, I could instantly look at, for instance, at the time, 2011, Lord of the Rings trilogy books, you know, box sets were huge and they were like $100. And I knew in five seconds, if I could look at the marketplace sellers on that item, if they were selling this product for $50, 100% guaranteed fraud. Wow. And so every morning I would come in and shut down sellers. Really? And the number of emails I got from doing that is exactly zero because they were all fraud. (laughs) So it's interesting. I mean, the cost of operating these platforms isn't, you know, can't be overlooked in, in any case. In your role when you're advising a retailer or a brand... I mean, everyone always leads with, hey, we want to do this because it's really cool. You know, it's technology and so on. How do you balance customer centricity in terms of doing right by the consumer? I think we're kind of beyond the phase where most people want to do things because they're super cool. Right. E-commerce in general, not in every, in every industry, it's a little bit different story, but e-commerce broadly is maturing Mm -hmm. relative to 10 years ago. And so I think people are getting a little bit more clear eyed about their investments. My personal opinion with no scientific data, is that we hit peak direct-to-consumer hype about January you know, 2019. That was the peak of the investments, and mm-hmm. everyone wanted to do that, which was exactly about eight years before. If you go back up about eight years in history, we hit a peak for the same idea, you know, back when like Andreessen Horowitz was investing in fab.com and right. these right. crazy things. So I think it's easier, it's not that hard is, is the short answer to your question because if you're an investor in a board, one of the first things you want is a financial model for how is this gonna look like? And that's something I can help them with because if they're just used to selling wholesale, they don't know the economics, they don't know how much it's gonna cost. Right. Like Who are all the vendors that I'm gonna need to hire to make this work? Mm-hmm. Who are all the people I'm gonna need to hire? Who are all the agencies that I need to hire? All these things kind of play into a profitable model. So when you look into your crystal ball and you, you look down out maybe 18 months, what do you see? What's out there that's getting you excited or you're like, this is a big red flag that's coming? I think grocery retailers and marketplaces are going to go through the same evolution that a lot of the traditional marketplace retailers have gone through Mm -hmm. in that, first, it's a threat. We don't need it. Second, it's, uh, okay, we're going to do it, but we're going to do it for non-core products. Mm. And then 99.9% of them are going to struggle with intermingling or selling Mm. against their own core units. And... There are 
almost zero retailers that have actually solved that problem outside of Amazon. And there are actually, I mean, a couple of famous stories if you go back to the 2000s where Jeff Bezos himself had to resolve these conflicts between the marketplace team and the merchandising team. And that gives you an example of like, if probably like the greatest internet visionary in a generation had to resolve these at Amazon, most retailers don't have a shot right. resolving that channel conflict problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to be a harder problem than people think. And this is why I think when you see some of these grocery marketplaces starting to pop up, you're like, oh, we want to do apparel at home. I'm like, what? What? I mean, it seems like, you know, sauces might be an interesting place to start because it's a hot space. And there are lots of interesting innovations happening and new flavors and tastes and consumers. Like, why wouldn't you offer? Well, okay, oh, no, you know, we can't cannibalize our ski. I mean, it sounds very familiar. Yeah, they'll branch so far away from what they're somewhat knowledgeable about thinking that there's an opportunity here and lose complete sight of what's right for their own business. Right. That That's really interesting. Now, the one company I'm not hearing anything about, I don't know if you are, Mark, mm. where's eBay? <laughs> that's a good question. Where is, like, I haven't used, have you used eBay lately? Not in years, no. Uh, no, like, no. where is eBay? Where are they? You know, they're still in uh, Silicon Valley. And... Um, <laughs> But eBay is, I would say, one of the sad case studies in yeah. in the last 15 years. I mean, they're currently without, they have an acting CEO. Mm -hmm. Their CFO is functioning as their CEO. And uh, everyone's waiting on what's going to happen in the next three to six months for what direction they're going to they're gonna come in. And uh, they are essentially slowly declining. Yeah, so the lack of strategic direction, really. Right. Wow, great. So, Rick, you know, it was a pleasure having you on the show. How do people get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me is either on LinkedIn or my website, rickwatson.io. My email address is rick at rickwatson.io, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening, and don't forget to download our next episode. We'll be tackling another key subject or something that's happening in the industry in near real time. Mark? How do people get a hold of us? Great show. Thanks, Rick. www.mercatus.com. Our social handles are at the bottom. Look forward to chatting with the audience next time. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm.